You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. I'm your host, Keely Yor, joined by Shotgun Spratling and cousin of the pod, Chris Trevino, who's kindly joined us for all of our coronavirus podcasts. We have an interesting show for you guys today. Maybe not a fun one. We're going to get into... Uh, coronavirus and what that means for the college football season specifically uh, what's happening the day of recording Wednesday Ivy Leagues and Stanford some some news coming out of there and USC starting phase two of voluntary workouts plus we're gonna get into some recruiting news and whatnot and some fun little quarantine corner uh, segments as well as a reminder you guys can subscribe to us on iTunes Google Play and Megaphone you can also email us your questions or submissions to our podcast at familyfeudpod at gmail.com so like I mentioned, we're getting into the nitty gritty. I think on this podcast, we've avoided talking about coronavirus and what it means for college football just because it has fluctuated so much in the last couple months. But it's at a point now in July where we got to start talking about it and what it means for USC. I mentioned we're recording this on Wednesday. Some news has come out, specifically uh, the Ivy Leagues. They have come out and decided that they will cancel fall sports for 2020. And the reason why this matters, not necessarily that the Ivy Leagues are heavy hitters in the college football world, but they have kind of been the first on everything so far in the COVID-19 age. They canceled their basketball tournament before anyone else did, and they also canceled their spring football practices before anyone else did. So a lot of people view this as the first domino, you know, the first league that or conference that gives cover for other conferences to make similar decisions. Uh, And then the other thing that came out on Wednesday, Stanford, decided to drop 11 sports. Now, Stanford had one of the most robust athletic departments. They had 31 sports. I believe Ohio State is the only one in the 30s. Uh, They dropped 11 sports. And to give you some context, USC has 21 sports. So it seems like coronavirus is hitting different schools in different ways. And in the release, Stanford did say that they were already operating with a deficit prior to coronavirus. It just seems like coronavirus was another hit that just they had to make these hard decisions. So I know that was a lot of intro, but Shotgun, I guess let's get your thoughts first on the news that dropped on Wednesday. I mean, both of them are very big things, I think, in different for different reasons. I mean, the Ivy League. First off, Keely, let's say that there's only one Ivy League. There's, there's not Ivy Leagues. There's only one. Did I keep adding a plural to it? <laughs> you did. <laughs> uh, there's, a, there's only one Ivy League. My but bad. the but they they factor in almost uh, multiplicative because everyone kind of looks at the Ivy League in this in this kind of situation because they aren't beholden to their athletic departments like other schools are, like some of the Power Five conferences are. So they're looking more at the student body as a whole, and I think that they become more of kind of if that first domino falls then other schools may have felt that they could be that they wanted to do the same type of thing in in situations and if the ivy league does it well they go well the ivy league has done it so we could probably do the same thing too um so i think that that's that's a reason why it's important not because it's the same as far as you know they're they're an fcs school you know they don't have athletic scholarships there's some big differences there so it doesn't directly impact what's going to happen with power five conferences coming through in the fall and whether or not football is played but you're going to have some athletic departments some presidents of schools say you know we were kind of thinking about this and now that someone else has already stepped in the front Maybe we'll follow with that. So that's the big question. Is anyone going to follow suit with what the Ivy League has done uh, today and making the decision that there are going to be no fall sports? The winter sports are still kind of up in the air. They said nothing through uh, nothing played until January 1st. But they also kind of left it up in the, the air about whether football would be canceled. I mean, the first tweets that came out said fall sports were canceled. You know, there's been some pushback on that. There may be moves this spring. So there's that discussion. Now, do do you see some Power 5 conferences? Do you see a conglomerate of Power 5 conferences and athletic directors get together and say, maybe that's the best move, or we think we can do something different? That's going to be the question going forward. I think that's huge just because it's it's that first uh, you know, that first school, the first league, the first schools to, to put it out there that, you know, we're not going to play football in the fall. 
not this isn't a D two. This is in a NAI school. This is the first you know power conference, not not a uh, a power five conference, but everyone knows about the Ivy League and everyone respects them as you know the, these very high academic universities. So when they put the decision out there, that gives everyone kind of pause. Okay, what do we need to kind of assess on our own as well? Chris, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, just like Shotgun said, it is literally a huge domino falling on on the game board and everyone can look at it and people can get together and talk about it other power five conferences administrators what have you now the big question is you know will this affect you know the 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 power five the schools that money is the the big motivating factor for a lot of these football programs and all that uh to plug our site a little bit 24 7 sports brandon marcello had a really great article come out uh just a couple hours ago that kind of breaks down you know, everything that's gone down today and where everything stands with the coronavirus, even though it changes so much from week to week, um, you know, right now it's a little bit more pessimistic uh, as opposed to maybe the optimism we had a couple more couple months ago. Um, but one of the key quotes about it was that I don't think people understand. I don't think people understand that how that decision, that decision simply doesn't affect us. And that was from a power five uh, administrator. So while it is a significant you know, domino that's fallen. As of right now, it doesn't seem like that's going to sway the Power Five, but it is, you know, something that's going to be discussed. See, in my opinion, I feel like it will sway the Power Five. From the sense I get, it seems like a lot of people want some cover um, and have the Ivy League go first. Um, It kind of, at this point, to me, seems like an inevitable outcome, just because the university presidents make the final decision. It's not the athletic department itself. And the thing, especially if you look at USC, who's tried to hold itself up in the last decade as a higher academic institution, likes to think of itself kind of parallel with the Ivy League, with the Harvards, the Yales. And if they have, if their higher uh, learning institutions are saying, hey, this is not safe, our research says X, Y, and Z, it seems like a university president would not want to go against that type of research or that type of opinion from a higher, an upper echelon school. So to me, it seems like this is kind of the first domino. There's going to be some reluctance, but it just seems like it's going to trend toward what they have decided. Yeah, and I think when you look at the the Ivy League, their, their uh, I think, Council of Presidents, they put out a statement and they said, we have a responsibility to make decisions that are in the best interest of the students who attend our institutions, which is obviously all the student athletes. And there's the big debate over whether, you know, young people, if they get it, how serious it's going to be for them. But what they added to that was as well as the faculty and staff who work at our schools. And I think that gets overlooked so often when people start debating whether or not a you know college athlete should be on campus and should be you know participating in these type of events. It's, it's not just your college students and, and what they're doing on the campus. And, hey, can you get these 18 to 22 year olds to follow these guidelines and, you know, not possibly go outside and do something else and go to a party or any of that type of stuff? It's. Okay, well, what about you know the coaches are on the staff that are older? What about the you know the uh, the janitor that's working you know that has to be in there as well, cleaning up after students and different. No, and you have people that you know that may not have insurance, and you got to consider that whole the whole community that you have created as a university, rather than just looking at it and saying, well, we got some, we got you know these two hundred kids that are you know in the best shape of their life which they still can get it and be affected greatly by it. You know, you, you see the, unfortunately you see the Broadway actor, uh, Nick Cordero who passed away. And I think that's kind of uh, a, a case study that's opening people's eyes because you have to be in a really good shape to be a Broadway actor and be singing and dancing a, around a stage. And, you know, unfortunately for him, you know, he lost his battle with, with COVID. And, you know, I, I think that sometimes it gets overlooked that it's not just the players that are going out and trying to keep them safe. It's keeping everyone around them safe and everyone, when they go home for Christmas break and, you know, you know, if you're around grandma, you know, and and the potential of getting her sick and everyone else around you, those type of things. And it's just unfortunate with this virus and the asymptomatic spread of it, that, you know, someone doesn't have symptoms, they could still be spreading it to someone else. So it's, it's a really tough situation that the presidents are in. 
win. I think, like Keeley said, I think the word cover is, is really important. I was, I was kind of missing that when I, in my first uh, spiel is that this gives some other presidents and athletic directors maybe a little bit of cover, like, okay, we don't feel as comfortable as we think we should be. Now that someone else is gone, this is a little bit of cover to say we can follow in their footsteps. And I just want to jump in and say here on the Family Feud podcast, we believe in science. We believe that uh, COVID-19 is a real thing. We believe you should wear a mask, be safe. Uh, so if you have a problem with that, <laughs> go to a different podcast on our platform. We have some that might agree with you. But to that effect, I think you're right, Chaka. And I think often we talk about, oh, the athletes are in such great shape. We still don't know the long-term effects of even if you're in great shape, what happens to your lungs? What happens to... We, we just don't know. We don't know the long-term effects. And I think to be nonchalant about it is irresponsible. And I also think it, it downplays people who have older parents or people who are immunocompromised. It's not easy and it's not an easy decision. And I think to suggest that um, is just wrong. <laughs> but Chris, what do you think? Sorry, just a little breaking news of like Ohio State suspended all their workouts just now, which I believe they're the ninth program football has been halted for them and all their sports so that's a big one and i think that goes to where i was trying to get with my last point it seems a little ridiculous to me to be talking about going back to quote unquote some sense of normalcy when you have professional leagues who are putting a ton of money into this and who are testing daily or weekly and are in a bubble and are having just a huge operation around this but then we're somehow suggesting that 18 to 21 year olds to just go back to athletic departments that don't have the the capability to do things as well as maybe the pre- professional leagues are doing to me it just seems a little ridiculous that we're trying to force this on student athletes who might not really have a choice but feel like they're required to do so in a pandemic i completely agree i mean you look at the struggles that you're seeing with the nba and the mlb and even the mls as they're trying to put together these leagues in a bubble and all these are paid professionals now you're asking amateur athletes to come, and now they want to be out there. Trust me, all the all the players, all the high school players, all the college players want to be out there. Uh, you know, they're probably putting themselves at too much risk with some of the workouts and stuff that they're doing at times. You know, some of the basketball players I'm seeing playing full pickup games and, and different things. And But, you know, they want to be out there. But it needs to be safe, and it goes back for the universities. They have to take care of, of that entire community. But there's also the big liability issues, you know, in America. And this is one of the reasons why I think the the U.S. sports have been slower to return versus some other sports and just and the universities as well is because you know, just of the the legal system and you know the liability that is re, that can be put on a uh, an organization or a a university to to be the one to to be in charge of something so i think that's a big part of why things have been slow played in some areas and why places are being really cautious Uh, but you know when you look at usc you think they've done some really good things you know look at some of the different things they're doing you know they're doing the nasal swabs when i i went and had my test uh i went got tested at dodger stadium and it was an oral swab they had the nasal swabs those are much more uncomfortable but they are, are more accurate. You get less false negatives from them. So that's why they're doing that. And the football players, you see them on their Instagram. And, you know, Greg Johnson had, uh, had an Instagram post the other day. He said he felt like he was drowning as he was getting his done. So, you know, they're, they're trying to do everything they can. So I give, I give USC credit for the way that they've done things so far. But, again, it is a bleak outlook right now just with the, the information that continues to come out and the fact that they're, that they're not being a, a bunch of positives going forward where, you know, a month or so ago we felt like there were some positives and maybe we were going in the right direction. With this recent spike in cases, it makes it that much harder to believe that, you know, we're going to be have football this season. You know, Ohio State shut theirs down. I know North Carolina shut theirs down earlier this uh, today because they had, I think it was 27 or uh, or maybe even a little bit more. Like that. 30, close to 40, 37, something like uh, yeah, that. Yeah, I think it was, that was, it was 36 out of 287 or something like that. But, you know, you know, when you get up in numbers like that, you know, you just have to be cautious. And I think, unfortunately, with the way this virus spreads, with the asymptomatic spread, that it's going to be that much more difficult to constantly be at zero. Um, and, and that's what you need when you're, when you're dealing with colleges and when you think about trying to put together a game and going week by week and traveling from a city to another city, you know, those, those things seem, uh, you know, much more 
difficult to be done in, in a safe way right now and, and to keep everyone, uh, you know, with a bunch of negative tests than, than what we've seen maybe a month ago? It just varies so much. I mean, like you said, with you have the professional leagues, which can give every team the same amount of resources and attention they need. And with just like you said, USC, they have the nasal, stu- the nasal stuff. So they have the resources. But what about like a smaller team like UTEP? What are they getting? It just varies so much from school to school and region to region. That's why it's it's so much harder to get a control of this thing, especially when we're talking about the, like college football in these in these schools. And I think that's a great point because you look at right now the financial issues. Now we can move into Stanford and the reason why Stanford was dropping this sports and you know they said they they were already struggling with you know the you know breaking even in the athletic department because the athletic department's basically been on its own. And you look at you look at a UTEP, but Look at the Pac-12 and the fact that they are, have lost so much money on these TV deals compared to other conferences. And you see that you, if you start seeing more Pac-12 schools have to drop a couple of sports, you're going to start going, start looking at that Bay Area office that's paying all that rent and Larry Scott and all the money he's making a little bit closer and a little bit closer and a little bit closer. And, you know, that's the, the reports that have been coming out is that are the PAC 12, you know, presidents uh, happy with Larry Scott? Or are they going to continue to, you know, are they going to let him work out his contract with how much he's making right now when you're having schools now have to cut sports and now stay for the sports. They cut, they did a really good job. I thought in their, in their press release of identifying why they were, they cut these certain sports you know, the, the fact that they were having financial issues breaking even previously, but a lot of the sports just aren't played on the West coast or aren't sponsored by the NCAA as a, as a championship uh, uh, sport. So I, I think that the, they did a good job of explaining that, but you, when you lose men's volleyball, that's a pretty big one. You know, they put n- uh, multiple players on the national national team, gold medal team. Um, so you lose that and just, you know, Stanford prides itself on being, the most national championships in the, in the nation. And, you know, they've won the director's cup for like some ridiculous amount of years in a row, in part because they have much, they have many more sports than other schools. Uh, but, you know, they pride themselves on athletics and stuff. And the fact that they, even with a $27.7 billion endowment, can't find the money to, to keep all their sports around tells you a lot about what's going to happen with some smaller schools and schools with smaller endowments and, you know, uh, smaller athletic departments that don't get the same amount of funding because no one's getting the funding that they normally get. And just to be clear, that's billion, right? Billion. billion. See, the thing though is I think that there's a lot of common misconceptions about endowments and how they work. And I think a lot of people see them as this bank account that universities can just draw from and get money. And it's not that it's not how that works. True. However, when you have that big of an endowment, it tells you that you have a lot of alumni that give money. Alumni also give money to the athletic departments. Sure. You know, especially athletic uh, alumni. So the the endowment, it, it may not be something they can grab from, but it is it shows you that it is a school that is able to raise funds pretty pretty easily. Fair, definitely fair. Uh, and I just want to jump back into the USC part of things. Now, first off, I just want to say because I've been the negative Nancy on the Dan Pod, I would love to have college football in fall. I love college football. It's my livelihood. I don't. I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer. It's just what we're faced with in the pandemic but for usc the right now on wednesday they started phase two of voluntary workouts they started their first phase on june 24th uh they you moved- mean that you mean that thing that you broke in the war room last week <laughs> yes yes so they moved the thing oh, yeah. what, what i broke in the war room was that they moved uh phase two to july 8th because they wanted to give more time for accurate uh, covid19 test results based on uh july 4th knowing that a lot of people are going to have interaction with people on that holiday. Uh, so that's what happened. And then uh, they're moving in today. Uh, so far, I've been told that it's been successful. Nothing really came up with that. Now, as far as USC, phase two has been approved by the university. Phase three, which lies on July 13th, the first day that the NCAA said that you could uh, install mandatory workouts. They haven't gotten approval from the university for that. Now, the only thing that changes for USC on phase three is having a uh, having freshmen uh, come to campus. So it's not a big difference. The thing that to watch out for is I believe July 24th is when you can start doing walkthroughs as a team. Um, so that's something that USC hasn't really decided yet. And so it was interesting getting that info to put in the war room. I was talking to both 
athletic department sources and parent sources. And I think a lot of the parent on the parent side of things, there's some confusion as to if you don't have approval for phase three or anything beyond that, why are you moving players onto campus? And the athletic department side of things were kind of like, yeah, we know that's an issue. And so they're kind of in limbo. So from their point of view, it was presented to me, do we stay behind? And then if things continue to go positively, we're behind and we have to get that rolling faster. Or do we continue as normal because we haven't had any uh, directives that we have to stop? And then if we do have to stop, then we figure it out from there. So it seems like they're choosing the latter rather than the former. It's just interesting seeing both sides of things and how uh, parents and players are feeling about it versus the athletic department. So, But the, the thing that I don't feel like we mentioned enough is that LA County is not trending in the right direction. And there is still a, I think, a ban on gatherings of 100 or more people. <laughs> Guess how much a football team is. And I know Dan Weber has floated out the theory that USC could go down to Orange County or anything like that or move out of L.A. County for that. I've been told that that hasn't even been discussed at this point. So right now, it just seems like USC is really at the behest of L.A. County in their guidelines. So right now, kind of we're approaching a big fork in the road as to what USC can do and what they're going to have to do based on LA, L.A. County and the university. So with the timing of the Ivy League's decision, it's really interesting just to see where this could go in a couple of weeks. Yeah, it, it's really tough right now because things continue to change, and, and that's the thing with, with this being a novel virus that since it hasn't been here before is how do you deal with it um, and, you know, how is it mutating? How is it spreading? All those different things. And everyone's still trying to figure it out. And that's the thing. I think that's it gets lost a little bit, you know, in the, the politics of it at a, a much grander level where people will say, well, you said this a long time ago. Well, things things have changed. And scientists have, have, have to admit that, you know, they were wrong early and maybe they were right about this. And, you know, that's the thing with science. And that's the thing with a, a virus that can mutate and change. And everyone's trying to, to do their best to to, to get ahead of it and find a vaccine and do all those things. But until then, how are you, what are you going to do to, to mitigate the, the, the situation as best as possible? And, you know, you look at a situation like potentially going to another County or, or something like that. And now you look at, okay, well, it's much safer to be on your own campus where, you know, the cleaning uh, structure, you know, all the stuff that is being done on your own campus. Whereas if you go somewhere else, now you have to worry about, you know, who's been there, what's been going on the day before, all those types type of things. It, there's a lot of things that just get complicated more and more if you have to move anything. And that's why I think it's so going to be so complex to actually have a season where then you're traveling and you have a hotel stay and you know, you know, you're flying potentially all those type things. And you're going from week to week. If you keep the, the season on schedule that, that make it so difficult to believe that everything's going to work out positively. And like Keely said, we're hoping and wishing it does. We're hoping and wishing that the things, you know, clear up and, you know, we find a cure immediately and, you know, people are able to get vaccinated and you know, football players can, can be on the field and, you know, we can put it all behind us, but that doesn't seem to be the case. So how are universities going to react to, you know, a change in the normalcy of, of the plan? And I think the next two weeks are really big. Because all the coaches, you know, in, in March and April when they were asked about it and they talked about it on the Pac-12 conference calls and different things, they said they would love to have six weeks. A couple weeks of, of conditioning, just get guys back in shape, and then four weeks of fall camp. Okay, well, if you're not able to do that, are you able to start the season on time? Are you going to have to change things? Is that Now you have to start looking at the conference-only schedule, pushing the season back, moving to spring, all those different contingency plans – if you're not able to get the six weeks started early uh, or six weeks of, of preseason time. So I think that's why there's so much kind of change right now happening and could happen over the next couple of weeks of decisions being made and stuff. So I think that's why it's such a big time right now that the schools are trying to figure out the exact right steps to make. Something we haven't mentioned yet that happened last week was that USC at 9.30 p.m. on a Wednesday night kind of reversed course from what, they, what Carol Folt said a month ago they're going to primarily for undergrads go to online classes. Uh, in the release, they said that 10 to 20% of undergrads will have hybrid classes, meaning a mix of on-campus and online. Um, I know Marshall and Annenberg have kind of already laid out what that will look like. And what I haven't gotten yet from the athletic department is how much does that allow them or give them wiggle room to have 
athletes on campus because Mike Bone and others in the in the world of college sports have said that on-campus classes are the key to having college athletes come back. So I don't know how much that development influences the decision as well. Of course, if LA County says you can't go, you can't go. But for some reason they say they can, do online classes dictate whether or not you can still purport the whole amateurism student athletes are just the same as normal athletes you know I don't know how much you can go with that so that's another development where it kind of throws a a wrench into everything as well yeah I mean I think it was you that said it's the student it's the presidents that are going to be the ones to make the final call on things and obviously that's a president decision and it's one that made us all go whoa that's the opposite of where we're going we're moving forward and now we have to like hit the reverse a little bit and that was you know, we were kind of debating behind the scenes, like, does this mean no football? Does this mean don't even think about it? I mean, I've come to, uh, I've, I've sort of accepted that it's going to have a delayed start no matter what. And that's kind of inevit- inevitable in my in my eyes. Um, it, it's hard to see it coming together right now with the, the way that a lot of states are trending right now with cases and how it's being treated. Um, it, again, you know, I give credit to the schools and the athletic departments and presidents that are trying to be creative and trying to find strategies and are trying, you know, just aren't sitting around and waiting for other schools to do stuff and, and then taking their ideas. I mean, look at like Princeton, they're going to be, uh, I thought this was interesting that they're going to have their first year and their juniors have a semester in the fall and then have their second year and seniors have a semester in the spring to, you know, basically half the, the classes, but then, uh, there's a lot of logistical questions that that brings up too. Uh, so it, I give credit to the schools that are trying to be creative and trying to figure out ways that to possibly make this work. I think it's, it's much more important in the grand scheme of things to find a way for students to be able to, you know, to have a normal college experience than it is to, to get football in the, in the fall. Now they, they need to get football played somehow. And that's why, you know, they're trying to be so creative and why the spring is a possibility and why everything else. And, you know, I know Matt Liner's talking on Twitter about how spring's a terrible idea for college football, but whatever it takes to get the season in, athletic departments are going to do because it is such a, it is such a big piece of the pie when it comes to the the financial budgets for every other program that they need for it to be played to be able to support all the other student athletes that they want to be able to support and you know I thought David Shaw had a, a really good quote uh, that they had done for a Sports Illustrated um, article a while back but he was talking about just the you know just talking about how the experience of being a student athlete and how that prepares you so well going into, you know, into the the regular world and post-college. And now they lose 11 sports at Stanford and, you know, what's going to happen at other programs and stuff. Are you going to have that many, many fewer, that much fewer um, student athletes in the future? Who knows? I mean, I would love for them to find a way to get students back on campus so they could have their normal um, their normal class schedules and all those type things instead of having to pay $50,000 to watch a, uh, a computer screen. Cut the tuition. That'd be great. But the problem is everyone's losing so much money right now. That's why no one wants to cut the tuition. It, I it makes, I understand, it makes perfect but it, it's sense just, to do it's it. Just, it's just not fair. It's just not fair. I mean, I think if you cut tuition, then you got to cut salaries for all teachers at the same, uh, at a, an appropriate rate, right? See, that's the thing. Like, there's so many other parts of it, and that's why I don't, I don't envy the people that are making these decisions and trying to find these solutions. I understand how difficult these are, and it's easy to sit back and, and be a college football fan and say, "Man, I just want them to be out there on the field. I want them to play, and I want everyone, hundred thousand people, to be in the stands and have a great time because that's what it is." But there's just so many other real life things that are going on right now that have unfortunately taken away from you know those six or seven. Saturdays in the fall where you go to a home football game and just enjoy yourself and and lose yourself in your fandom for you know eight to twelve hours yep now in my mind there's like three options best case scenario in my mind it's a Pac-12 only conference season somehow they figure out a way to make it safe and play just the conference um medium option is playing in spring football itself I don't get the logistics fully or eligibility things like that Worst case scenario, no football at all until 2021 fall. What say you two? I mean, that is last it, one is a worst case scenario. Yeah, it's awful. <laughs> it's definitely awful. Is a delayed start 
part of that first option or see i guess yes yeah i think so if you i mean if you, you're going to conference only games then maybe you trim you down the yeah. schedule i mean u.s i mean the pac-12 could easily have an 11 game schedule if they wanted but uh just to limit travel and stuff like that but i think if you're if you're going to conference only that probably means that you're cutting out a few weeks early in the season and potentially pushing back into december like there's some options there for that, but it's going to take everyone kind of doing their part as college football fans and wearing their masks and doing all the things and helping to stop the spread so that, you know, there there's less numbers in counties. And so that athletic departments and presidents feel more comfortable with having student athletes out there. So which one, like which one would I choose right now? If I, yeah, if saying? you had to guess, even though we don't like hypotheticals, especially in a pandemic. I love, I love hypotheticals. <laughs> I would, I would say, like conference only is what. Interesting. I feel strongest towards right now. Interesting, Shoddy? Uh, I don't, I don't know what it's gonna be. I, I think there could be some really creative things done where you where you potentially uh, have a regional schedule. You know, that's an idea which it's it's difficult with the contracts and the way that there are with these buyout games and stuff for. You know, now Ivy League schools, you look at the basketball schedule early in the season, you know, who's going to lose those type of games that the Ivy League doesn't play and other people do. There's a lot of contract issues that are going to be involved in these things, but maybe schools kind of band together and go with, you know, regional schedules to cut down travel and, hey, you can drive to San Diego and play San Diego State or you can drive uh, to, to the Arizona schools and stuff and, and, you know, the UNLVs and whatnot because those are close enough. Do you start seeing something like that? It's. I think that they're going to have to get creative. I think that's the the answer I would give. They'll get no. creative in some fashion, <laughs> so you're not going to see a regular regular schedule played out. Shadi, we need an answer. Hypothetical. Let's go. Yes. I don't. I don't know the answer. None of us do, but that's what's fun in that. Normally, I do know the answer, Keely. You should know that by mm, now. You're... Highly debatable. <laughs> Hold on. Your beard makes it seem like you have the answer. That's yeah, why we want the wisdom's <laughs> all in the beard. Come on, use it. I, I think the 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 most likely scenario right now to me looks like more of a, a spring at best. Yeah, I would have to agree. Hopefully, there's some some big changes, and you know, in the next three or four weeks, because uh, that's what we saw in the last three or four weeks. We've had big changes basically since Memorial Day. Um, so maybe in the next month, you know, we see some, you know, moving in the right direction and then we'll start feeling more, feeling more positive and maybe they find a way to do some different things. One last coronavirus tidbit before we move on. USC has now conducted 126 COVID-19 tests. Of those, only two came back positive. The first one was in the first week. They were isolated and then uh, have now been moved out of isolation. The second one is in isolation. The last update we got, I'm sure we will get new numbers uh, this week. So far, so good for USC, considering what we've seen across the nation. Um, it seems like they're doing a good job. And from what I've heard, uh, players and parents seem pretty happy about the way that they're handling things. Moving on to a slightly less depressing topic, recruiting for USC. The team is currently second in the Pac-12, seventh in the nation. As recording this, Corey Fulman conveniently released his top seven. I'll just go ahead and list it out. First off, Howard University, USC, Georgia, Alabama, Oregon, Clemson, and LSU. I guess your initial reactions, guys, what do you think about this top seven? Any uh, surprises there? I mean, obviously, Howard is kind of the outlier there, the one you don't really think about in HBCU. Obviously, there's been uh, like a a little bit of a groundswell or movement for top athletes looking more at HDBUs. You know, they're taking visits there. Um, I'm blanking on the basketball player who took Maker, one. Maker, Maker uh, committed to Howard. And then you also had uh, a couple other players that visited Howard as well, including Josh Christopher was including Howard in his, um, in his top schools as well. I don't know if he actually visited or not, though. I know Maker had previously before making his decision. I think Christopher did uh, take that visit there. But we're seeing uh, a lot of kids, you know, include HBCUs, uh, tweet about, you know, the potential of uh, changing the game and going there. Um, but outside of that, everything else is what I expected. Um, I expected USC to be in that top seven, uh, still lead in the crystal ball projections, still have my pick in for USC. 
Don't think I'm changing it anytime soon. Uh, but other schools have started to make a move for him. Obviously, that that decision is not going to come until later in the process. Still wants to take his visits, but right now USC is in a good spot. Yeah, and I think obviously this is a a huge target for USC in this recruiting class. Not only is it a number one prospect, but being a local guy and being a guy that you already have some building connections with Drake Jackson and uh, the Corona Centennial guys that are on the USC roster with Jaden Williams and Gary Bryant Jr. And he's just, he's a game changer. And USC needs to, this is the type of recruit you need to keep home to show that you have returned to recruiting power after having such a terrible recruiting class last year. USC has been number one in the recruiting uh, recruiting rankings in the Pac-12 until the last couple of days, actually, with Oregon bumping up. And, you know, we're just about to jump into the recruits that USC has committed. But, uh, you know, uh, the their most recent commit, I think it was, I think it was something like 18 days in between. That was the longest stretch USC had gone uh, since, basically since the quarantine began. Um, so that tells you how well they have been recruiting. I give a lot of credit to Oregon. They've been doing really well as well. And that's going to be a battle, I think, that goes down to the to the wire. But Corey Foreman could be, you know, could actually be the uh, determining factor on that. If, if he decides to stick on the West Coast and chooses between USC and Oregon, that could be determined who ends up with the number one, uh, the number one recruiting class, not only in the Pac-12, but also in the West. I think Shotgun wrote the story earlier, I think on 4th of July weekend, that Louisiana defensive tackle Mason Smith also put USC in his top eight. And I don't think those are two lists USC is making last year. Um, so a big step forward in terms of getting back into the discussion, getting back into those uh, those those late top lists. And also they're you know in the mix for uh, the the number one player in the other, whichever the composite is 24-7, Corey Foreman's number one in one of them, uh, JT. JT Tui Moloa is the the number one. The other one, you know, the the five star from from Eastside Catholic outside of Seattle, up there in Washington. USC's in that mix as well. So three five star defensive linemen is there in the mix for, and you can turn things around really quickly if you can recruit well on the defensive line and the offensive line, uh, particularly the defensive line. That can they can be game quick, uh, immediate game changers. Um, and you've seen that with, with a number of recruits in the past where, you know, whether it be the Boses or something, when they get on campus, they can make immediate impacts, particularly on the defensive line. So if USC can, can make some moves with those three guys, you know, you're talking about an elite recruiting class. Uh, so and, and Foreman's the most important of the group, though, to me, because he's the local kid. He's the one you already have connections with. You can't let this kid get out of the Southern California region. You guys mentioned how official visits will be important for Foreman. The dead period keeps being extended. One, do you see official visits becoming a thing anytime soon? And if not, how does that really affect recruiting on the whole, but maybe specifically for Foreman? I mean, right now, I don't really see official visits being a thing. Um, you know, you have the little virtual tours or whatever that schools have been doing, but obviously that's not enough for these guys. They want to get on campus. They want to see the facilities in person. They want to do all that stuff. And right now you just can't go on campus. So, and I don't think a lot of people, families are, are comfortable, you know, flying to, you know, an Alabama or to an LSU or to Howard to DC if you want to take a visit there. But I, I think that does play a little bit better to USC's favor just because they're local. Um, they're right there in the backyard. I mean, you could do like a drive thing. I don't know how that would happen to get around that rule, but I don't know how that would work, but it does help USC just being that they're local and you don't have to put that risk in flying somewhere across the country to see a school. And USC's been, you know, he's been to USC multiple times already. Uh, even if he hadn't, like you said, they could drive up and you could at least kind of check out the campus from afar. Even if you can't get out of the car and go in buildings or anything, you could still drive around the campus um, to, to kind of get a feel for it where it's, he's not going to be able to do for the schools. He hasn't gone to Alabama. He hasn't gone to, uh, to Georgia recently. So, you know, to kind of get a feel for those things, I, I think is a little bit more difficult than the local school. Uh, but I, I made most, both of my college, both undergrad and graduate decisions uh, based on pictures on the internet. So I don't know why anybody else needs to take these visits to go see schools. I just showed up the first day. I don't know why everybody else has to, you know, take official visits. What's this, what's this whole thing? All right. D1 athletes, shotgun <laughs> spratling, choosing off of pictures. No, but as you look to... T3 athlete. Oh, oh, okay. There you go. 
<laughs> As you alluded to, Shotgun, uh, USC picked up four commits in the month of June. The first one to start off June was Miller Moss, four-star quarterback, 6'1 and a half, 197. He competed in the Elite 11 this past month. What were your guys' thoughts about his commitment? Shotgun, I know you are the president of the Miller Moss fan club. So take it away, Mr. Gunn. I have just been a uh, you know a fan of Miller Moss since uh, kind of seeing him the being the first one to see him at a USC camp and kind of note him because uh, we didn't really know who he was and just saw that the ball came off his hand really really well and he's really progressed since we've seen him I think that was after his freshman year at Loyola I went to Bishop Alamany now he's going to be going to Modern Day so seeing the career tra- trajectory for him and how things have changed. And we've had him on the live show. He's, he's a great kid. You know, he's thoughtful with all his answers and everything and, you know, really thinks through what he's going to say in an interview. So uh, it's always fun to talk to him. He has some really interesting things to say and listening to how he breaks down the game tells you about him as a quarterback too. He's a very cerebral quarterback. He really is, is into reading defenses. He loves studying and seeing, seeing weaknesses and defenses that he can try to exploit. He's a very accurate passer as well. Um, so I, I think that he, he's a kid that has a chance to, to come in and be the next in the USC lineage, but it's going to be, be fun because he's number two quarterback in this class that USC has, has gotten a commitment from. Yeah, Jake Garcia being the first. Uh, Miller, maybe not as impressive physically compared when you're comparing to Jake, who's probably a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger arm. But like you said, very accurate and short intermediate passes, um, which is something, you know, that's very important in this air raid offense is just getting the ball to your receivers and letting them do their thing. Um, and they're very familiar with each other. You know, they, they're both Southern California quarterbacks, but they also train together. They have they work with the same QB coach, so they're very familiar there. So, yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting battle once they get on campus, um, you know, if they if USC can hold on to both, because I know that'll be a topic of discussion here uh, when you have two quarterbacks in a class. Well, another part of the topic of discussion is Jake Garcia in Miami. I know there has been a push on social media for Garcia to go to Miami. Miami was his second choice when ultimately commu- committing to USC. Chrissy T., you are on the Garcia beat. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, first and foremost, I did not approve of that uh, nickname, so I better not be hearing that on social media anytime soon. <laughs> oh, definitely, uh, definitely. There is only one Christy T, and she's married to John Legend. I'm not married to John Legend, so I'm not Christy But you're T. podcasting with a legend. Does that not count? Oh, thanks, Shaka. That's so nice. <laughs> this is uncomfortable now. This is uncomfortable now. Uh, but yeah, back to the topic at hand, yes, there has been a uh, grassroots movement by Miami fans on social media, hashtagging, hashtagging Garcia to the U. Uh, all their fans have been making a big push. Miami has never stopped recruiting Garcia since he committed to USC. Like you said, they were his second choice. There was even a couple crystal balls in for him early on in the process. Um, but yeah, Miami is still right there. Obviously, that picked up a little bit more once Miller committed. Because now Miami coaches have something else to say, you know, come be the number one guy in our class, not one of two in USC's class. Um, So he's visited twice out there, you know, back before quarantine, enjoyed it both times. So they're a real threat there. But USC is his dream school. You know, he's a Southern California kid. I think he he wants to be at USC. Greg Biggins uh, backed that up when he talked about uh, Garcia's status earlier in the week that right now, you know, USC is where he wants to be. And Miami does have a track record of coming to to California and picking up some recruits, including Brad Kaya at the quarterback position. So, uh, so you know, th- this isn't something that's completely out of left field or anything in that regard. But I think it comes down to both these guys think that they're they're going to be the man at USC, that they that they can win the battle, that they'll be the uh, the heir apparent to Keaton Slovis. Um, and I think that with both these guys, I think that that, that competitive spirit. Uh, it, it leads me to believe that they'll both end up at USC potentially uh, to battle each other rather than, you know, thinking about, well, the competition is going to be too much and I'm going to worry about that because anywhere you go as a quarterback, you're going to have competition, whether it's from, you know, someone in your own class or someone in the class above. And, you know, who knows what, you know, if, if a guy, 
ends up redshirting and another one doesn't, or someone gets injured, they can end up in different classes that way. So I think there's a lot of different ways where it's not like they end up graduating at the same exact time and their eligibility ends at the same exact time. And you never know what's going to happen with injuries and other things like that. I mean, look at JT Daniels last year at USC. He's, you know, the freshman starter from USC. No one would think that they're going to come in and, and play. And instead Keaton Slovis is now, uh, the USC starting quarterback and you know a, a Heisman candidate, uh, and JT Daniels is transferring to Georgia after an injury. So you never know what's going to happen in those type of things. And I think both these guys are competitive, and both of them think highly high enough of themselves that they think that they can come in and win that battle. So I don't think that that they're going to be swayed necessarily just by the competition factor. Now moving on to the three other commits that USC picked up in June, Michael Jackson is a Las Vegas three-star wide receiver, six foot one ninety. Uh, Chris, I know you saw him. What did what were your initial impressions of him? Yeah, I mean, I saw him at the Elite Eleven Regional. He's one of the wide receivers catching passes uh, for the QBs out there. First thing that jumps off to you is that you know he's physically developed already. Kind of reminds you of Amon Rossi Brown with his body type. You know, like a short little short slot receiver, but guy hits the weights. Um, I was joking with him because he in the first like two hours of the camp he was just standing in the corner catching stationary passes he was very bored but then later in the day they got to get him they got him into some route running you know runs good routes uh good hands uh and overall i like the pickup you know a guy where you could see jump into you know that four-star range shotgun i know you saw him in a little bit more competitive setting yeah i really like this kid i, I like what he does he, he reminds me a lot of amon ross st brown the physical attributes, you know, the body shape and, you know, the height, but also the way he runs his routes and the way that he's able to, you know, it, he's one of those guys who just feels like he's always open, you know, because the way he runs routes and can shake defenders um, and he can play inside, he can play outside. And if you, you can put him in the backfield, even if you wanted to. And if you really try to, to focus and move him around and do some different things with him in an offense, I think he could be a star in college. Um, and, and I think that it's something that he could come in and learn behind Amon Ross St. Brown potentially and, you know, uh, have an opportunity, uh, even if Amon Ross St. Brown's not on campus for too much longer after St. Uh, Jackson gets on campus, then you could potentially learn a lot there. But also USC getting uh, a prospect from Desert Pines High School in Las Vegas, which is a new kind of feeder school where a lot of kids are going in that area uh, that can compete and produces a lot of talent. They've got some other players that USC's already offered on their roster. You know, they had a, a five-star Darnell Washington tied in last year, who USC probably would have been in the mix for if they were a better team and recruiting better last year. Uh, they went to Georgia. Um, they're producing a lot of talent, so getting in and getting a, a quality player from a, a school like that is always a, an added bonus in recruiting, too. The third commit USC picked up in June was Lake McRee, Austin, Texas, three-star tight end, 6'4", 217. He was John David Baker's first commit as tight ends coach. What are your thoughts on him? Obviously, he keeps that Texas pipeline that USC has been building going, the third commit out of Texas for this class. Um, obviously, he's a little bit of an unknown just because he lost his junior season to an ACL injury. Um but people in Texas around that Lake Travis program were very high on him coming out of his sophomore year. He was expected to be a big weapon last season before the injury. He has some athleticism. That's something you really like. Uh, he plays basketball out in Texas. Um, he's versatile. You can move him around kind of like an H-back. He was described to me as like an oversized wide receiver. Not a true tight end just because you don't. he doesn't have the blocking in, as a traditional tight end. He's not a guy you're going to put on the goal line to pick up that one yard to punch it in. He's the guy you're using in the red zone, you know, put him in the in the fade route, back of the end zone, tall guy. Uh, that's where he's going to make his money for USC. And obviously it's good to get a, a foot in the door at Lake Travis, which is one of the best uh, Texas powerhouses in, in the state. Uh, I believe they played for the – they were in semifinals of the Texas State Championship last year. So always talent coming out of there. So good to get a foot in the door there. And Lake McCree, before he had the knee injury, was a guy we saw at USC's, uh, one of their camps, uh, just a couple weeks actually before that injury a, a couple years ago. We weren't really focusing on him at the time. We were able to see the body type. And like you said, he does have the height. Uh, at the time, you know, as a, as a sophomore, he had some baby fat and stuff. So you could tone that up. 
but he's an athlete. You know, the, the basketball background is what you're looking at here. You look at the guy that USC put in the same position they're looking at him for was Drake London, another two sport athlete there. Now Drake London is obviously more receiver than Lake McCree is. And you're going to have to work on the blocking with Lake to, to make him a true guy that you use in the backfield more often. But he's another guy that you can split out and do some different things with. So, uh, you know, you're looking at that, but it, it's going to be how he comes back from that injury because USC is still looking at some other tight end targets there. And so this one is, is one to watch just in the future because, you know, they're going to want to see when he comes back from that injury, what does he look like? Is the athleticism, the explosiveness, is it still there? Because that's what you're you're banking on with this commitment is getting a guy that can be an athlete in the slot and, and can do some different things for you. Last but not least is Jalen Smith, a pickup for Dante Williams. Mission Hills four-star athlete projected to be a corner, 5'11", 180. Chris, I believe you also saw him in person? Yeah, he was also at that Elite 11 regional with, uh, Michael Jackson, he was there catching passes for Miller Moss. Miller brought him along. Um, you know, like you said, a nickel guy, going to be like a slot, playing that that slot position. Um, the thing that jumps out about him is just his athleticism. You could tell right away when you're watching him move, watching him patch passes. He's just an, ath- an athlete. I was watching him jumping all over the field, leaping out of the sky to grab passes. Um, really good, really good kid. Um if you haven't checked him out on Coach Snoop, that Netflix show, I watched that show twice now doing stories because Maximus Gibbs, another USC commit, was a star on that show. Uh, but if you want to learn more about uh, Jalen, I'd recommend checking that show out. Uh, just a lot of heart in this guy. Always goes pedal to the metal. Always gives it 110% when he's out on that football field. So a nice pickup for the class. Yeah, he, he was a little undersized on the Coach Snoop show, uh, you know, at that time when they were 13 or 14 or however old they were. Um, he's grown up now. He fits the the, the mold there as that, that nickel back. You know, he can you can move him around. He could potentially be a safety. He could be playing outside corner. You know, when you talk about the athleticism, that's what stands out with him, uh, his versatility as an athlete. You're going to end up getting him on campus and deciding where do we want to use this guy more than this is the only position he can play. You know, he's going to be a guy that maybe where he ends up, maybe based on the rest of the class and who's around him because he can play multiple positions. And I think he's good enough to play them. What I really like about the kid is he always has a smile on his face. He's great to talk to. And you can see it on, on the, the Coach Snoop show as well. Um, but, it, but he's he's a fun kid to, to be around, a fun kid to talk to. So you love, you know, for, for your team to, to get those type of players in it. So USC fans should be excited about him as well. And I feel like, since we brought it up and you said you've watched it a couple of times, like, you know, when signing day comes around, I feel like that's going to be must uh, required viewing for, for USC fans is to watch the coach Snoop, coach Snoop show, because not only do you have Jalen Smith, now you don't have Maximus Gibbs who are two of the more prominent characters in the show throughout, but you also have Anthony Beavers. There's also a couple other players at USC is recruiting that are, that are in the show as well. So that's be one. If you haven't already watched it, might be the time now during quarantine or after signing day when you know these kids are in the USC class. Uh, but definitely you, you should check that out to, to learn a bit, little bit more about these kids uh, from when they were a little bit younger. I just found it hilarious that while there's two stars and Gibbs and Smith on there, Beavers was just like a background guy. He was just there <laughs> randomly when you needed someone just playing hoops at Snoop's house, eating candy with all the kids. He was just there. He's part of the thing. He was there enough that he, that they that they had to identify him with a CG at the bottom. So so he was in it in it several times. Fair enough. So does this mean we see the return of Snoop Dogg on the sidelines when football ever returns? Quite possibly. I mean, I, I think you'll see him and uh, him at USC and potentially UNLV because they've got a couple of commits from the show as well. So. Um, you know, I, I think that he's, he's always been really proud of the, the players that have come through his league and stuff. So I, I think that, you know, if, and he's always been really excited about USC. So if he gets the opportunity, I'm sure he would jump at it. Before we wrap up the recruiting segment, just quickly, how do you think this class is coming together specifically with the background of coronavirus and maybe some more commitments we've seen as a whole for recruiting across the board and, and do you see anything shaking up or whatnot? I think USC's done a good job. I mean, they're, they're actually doing much better than they were last year, obviously. And, and they're, they're, you know, really attacking on the, the trail. Like I said before, you know, this was the longest that they, that they've uh, gone without a commitment. 
um, since the very beginning of the quarantine. And the fact that Oregon has finally caught up kind of you know puts a little bit more pressure back on USC, you know, if they had slacked off a little bit. And I don't think that's necessarily the case. I just think that's kind of the flow of these commitments. And, you know, we talked about how they're still in the mix for three really big five-star defensive linemen. If they could go out and find a big-time offensive lineman like a Tristan Lee or something and pull someone like that across the country, that would be kind of the feather in the cap for this this uh, recruiting class um, because that's the one thing that I feel is still missing a little bit. You know, they've got some quality local guys, but can you go out and, and kind of pull someone in from outside? That would be really saying something if they could do that. Right, just to jump on that, that's the thing they're missing. They're missing that marquee commit to kind of put the cap in the class to solidify it as an elite class you're in the top 10 right now um but things can change uh moving forward and into december that's when it's really going to matter but locking up at least a couple five stars or at least one local five star like a Corey foreman to really you know solidify it as an elite class you got to like where there are right now uh the momentum has kind of died off a little bit with oregon kind of surging a little bit more but usc's done what they needed to do you know since the spring, getting things back on track in the recruiting department. Now, according to my notes, we're going to a mystery segment by Mr. Trevino. Please explain to both us and the listeners what we're going to. Yeah, uh, you know me. I'm a I'm a weird dude. I just like sometimes throwing weird stuff at you. <laughs> I course. did a bunch of I did a bunch of fake sponsorships last one last podcast. I didn't make it in, so sorry. I'm just trying stuff. This is probably going to get cut, <laughs> but I'm just gonna. I got eight. Eight things here. I'm just gonna throw them at you, and you just gotta tell me if you're taking it or leaving it. Okay. Like, are you all right? Should I be concerned? No, I mean this is just like a quick little thing. I just want to get your. These are some topics that I've seen recently this July that I want to just get your. If you're taking it or leaving, are you in or you out? Okay. You have to explain. You just gotta say take it or leave it. All right. Let's see. All right. See what you got here. Kids doing top schools list for high schools they're gonna attend. Leave it. Leave it. Completely leave it. it. (laughs) Ridiculous. Just completely leave it. All right. Number two, holiday commitments. Leave it. (laughs) Leave it. I'm a strong proponent of leave it. Um, Now, this year was different. I think I tweeted this out. It was like, this year I'm like, I'm okay with it because just, you know, people are at home anyways and not doing as much. But I do remember a a, uh, particular commitment. And now that he's had a great USC career, I will say Michael Pittman Jr. committing on 4th of July and waiting for it and waiting for it and waiting for it and waiting for it before I could go and enjoy my holiday as well. So that's why I'm against the the holiday commitments. And Gerard has a great story about a player committing on Christmas or Christmas Eve that he was very upset about. So for our job in particular, that's a definite leave it. Yeah, in solidarity with the recruiting writers, I'm a leave it. All right, number three, kids doing top lists for anything more than top ten. I'm pretty much leave it on that, too, but I understand why they're doing it. Yeah, same answer. Otani's rusty start. Like Shohei? Yeah. What do you mean rusty start? <laughs> 50 pitches, eight walks. Are we buying stock? He are we in or are we He pitched in Angel Stadium since 2018. Leave my boy alone. So you're a take it? I'm taking it all day, baby. <laughs> I'll take it just because he can still hit. Even if he can't pitch, he can still hit. What does the lead option even imply? He's not on the team anymore? You're out as him as a pitcher. He's not going to. Okay, first of all, you clearly don't know the Angels pitching situation because we'll take any arm. Second of all, you can't do my boy Shohei like that, so take it. Take any damaged arm. That's been the motto. (laughs) COVID helmets. I think you have to take it. Have you seen the COVID helmets? With yeah, the full, basically the full face mask. It's like a, it's like a lacrosse helmet, like, like a, a BMX, sort of. Yeah, I think the BMX kind of style would be more fitting than the way they have it now. I, I think it's interesting. I think they should probably, they're probably gonna have to do something, um, but it looks really weird. So, you think it looks cool? Okay, you're the one. I'm leaving it. He did say he, he was a weird it, dude. Ah. 
it is weird. It's a little like alien predator type thing. I, I don't know if I like it. It's just like the jawline is too pointy from what I remember seeing. What are you? I don't think you've seen the same one you've seen. <laughs> so, so what am I thinking about? I don't know. I will take it if it gets football. I will definitely take it if it gets football back quicker. Oh, yeah. About that? That's a for sure take it then. All right. Expressive face masks. What does that mean? Like masks that shows off your personality. Are you guys <laughs> oh, like, playing guys? Oh. I thought you were talking about like helmets. You start talking about helmets. We're all thinking about that. This is our plug to, to tell you to wear your masks. Oh, yeah. Wear your mask, people. I have one with marble on it. I'm going to take it, even though mine are, are fairly plain. I do have a, a couple baseball ones. Oh, you oh, guys are so okay. fun. No, I just have, like, boring cloth ones. I don't have any, like, fun pizzazz. But I'll take it. Express yourself. Get some pizzazz. Okay. Get some pizzazz. It, I think, I, no, I think it definitely is a take it, because the more people can show their fashion off and make it a fashion symbol, uh, then the more people will be interested in wearing them. So I'm just interested in people wearing their masks because... That will help us get football back sooner. Agreed. Okay. Baseball in general, 60 games. What do we think? I'll leave it. I'm not. Okay. I don't, I don't like the schedule. I think the schedule is trash. Like, what does it <laughs> matter? Why are there, like, it, it's just dumb. It, like, what is the point of having a two-game set at home and then a two-game set on the road? If there's no fans, what does the home field advantage really matter that much? Let's be safer and just play four games. And, hey, you play some teams four games at home, you play some teams four games on the road instead of these two-game sets. They're dumb. And I would rather have, you know, if you're going to play nine games against a team, I would rather have a five-game series and a four-game series. Less travel. Less travel. Be be safer in this situation instead of feeling like, whoa, we need to be, we need to be uh, more – balanced with the schedule what does balance matter in a 60 game schedule who cares you've changed everything else you guys have been arguing this entire offseason and now you're making dumb decisions with the schedule that's going to end up someone traveling is, is going to end up catching the virus or spreading the virus and it's going to get things shut down quicker because you want to have two game sets all right putting it down as a hard take it <laughs> what a classic rant that was great see okay Sports being back feels wrong. I like don't feel like I can get excited about the things I'm seeing because I feel like it's inevitably going to be shut down or something. It doesn't feel real. I don't know. I do think it's weird. Apparently, for so the Angels opened the season against Oakland. Apparently, Oakland's allowing you to pay $85 to be a cardboard cutout in the stands. Which is I have seen some of those things, which is ridiculous. Too. I know, and I'm like, really? There's no. I mean, it, maybe for history's sake, but this just sounds stupid. Let Let's buy one for the for the Braves for shotgun. Yeah, but it has to be an angry. It has to be angry shotgun. <laughs> like, this is stupid, but I'm still here. I've seen that the, that there were. I don't know if it was the A's, but I saw one team at least that did that sent that out to their season ticket holders, and we're like, hey. We know you can't come to games, but you still want to spend money with us? Like, what? Yeah. Yeah, I want my cardboard cut out there so people know. I, I, I think they should take some things away. And it doesn't, to me, Keely, it doesn't feel weird to see sports coming back. Because I watch a lot of different sports. Obviously, none of them in the U.S., except for the UFC and NASCAR. But I've watched a lot of UFC, a lot of NASCAR. I've been watching a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, Premier League recently, especially being on the East Coast uh, this last week and a half. Then I can see... Uh, games at normal times so having to wake up early um so i i think it's it's not unnormal to see sports right now it's just it feels weird to all the things that especially baseball that they've tried to do and now you're gonna travel all over the place for it i don't know about that you know why it's probably weird i'm not used to caring about the angels past july you know usually at this point it's like <laughs> It's She's over. already checked out. Yeah, She's it's, like, it's gone. It? It's over. We're like 20 games back at this point. So maybe that's why it's weird. <laughs> oh, and I was, I was going to say that one of the things, instead of the cardboard cutouts, they should go with what I think it was either Japan or the Korean Baseball League who has the stuffed animals Big behind home that. plate. That was, a, that was terrific. Especially if you have an animal mascot. It's great. Yeah, true. All right, last one. Nuts in a banana bread. Take it. Leave it because I'm weird about texture. <laughs> I made a banana bread over the weekend and people were upset. I did not have any walnuts or any sort of. Ew. I had chocolate chips, 
Oh, but I just perfect. Yeah, they're wrong. Throw some walnuts in there. Makes oh. it even better. All right. Uh, are we taking or leaving this this new segment? I will take it. I like it. I got to talk about the angels. That's a full take for me. Shotgun hates it. <laughs> Almost as much as sixty game baseball season. Almost as much. Almost as much. Well, the producers are in my ear telling me to wrap this puppy up, so I think that's what we're gonna do. Any final thoughts, gentlemen? We right now are averaging one episode a month. I'm sure we'll have to be back before August starts because it seems like there are developments to be had pretty soon. But any final thoughts before we wrap it up? Our top 30 USC players for the 2020 season, which we started uh, last week, I believe it was, maybe two weeks ago. Um, We will be podcasting more because we're going to drop a couple of pods in the middle of this to discuss when we get down to number 20, potentially our 21 through 30 selections and then potentially a secondary uh, in in series podcast as well to discuss our our 11 through 20 rankings so you guys should be checking that out that's uh, what we've been working on recently for you guys it took a long debate <laughs> to get for us three to get to a top 30 it was it was a back and forth this was not this was there was some care and precision went into this and some some upset peoples. Chris cried a couple of times. <laughs> I mean, uh, we weren't supposed to say that, were we? Dang it. Sorry, we'll, guys. We'll talk, about how, we'll talk about this, how Shotgun was talking himself out of an argument, then talked himself right back in to agreeing <laughs> with himself. It was well, fascinating. No, no words said by Chris or no, myself. It was like a 30-second window. Just He argue, was arguing against himself and then talked himself into his own argument. It was beautiful. It was a but long... Yes complicated but, process to get it down to the 30 most important so we'll relay how we got into those decisions <laughs> that that may have happened <laughs> i got nothing else but wear a mask that's yeah. it wear your masks wear your mask wear masks, over your nose safe, everybody over, yeah, your- over the nose <laughs> such a pet peeve of mine okay <laughs> wrapping it up that's our podcast <laughs> that's shaka that's chris i'm keely we'll see y'all next time world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes!